Welcome to Tesseract Podcast, where we unlock your power to innovate. Hi, my name is Matt, and I'm going to be your host today. Tesseract's mission is to empower airmen, connect them to resources, and accelerate change across the Air Force logistics enterprise. Specifically, our team works as an innovation accelerator assigned to the Air Staff Logistics Directorate, where we partner with airmen to operationalize the new sustainment strategy. This episode is a recording of the State of Logistics by Lieutenant General Barry. At LOA 2022, he doubled down on innovation, and he even talks about Tesseract in his speech. All right, here we go. Bang. How are we doing? All right, so I want to know, do I get a different answer? How many Notre Dame fans are out there? This is sad. So we play tonight. Got the play-in game for crying out loud. Uh, we play tonight, uh, nine o'clock Eastern, seven o'clock Mountain Time. If any of you are wondering where General Barry is at seven o'clock tonight, I can tell you exactly where I'm going to be, watching the TV. So this is awesome. This is awesome. It is an awesome day, and I am truly excited to be here with you in Utah. Now, there's a whole bunch of you in the back of the room, so I don't know how close the camera is getting when they project it here. That's not, I do, I do not want a close-up. It's not what I'm asking for. But in case those of you in the back of the room can't tell, I'm old. <laughs> 34 years, two months, one day in our United States Air Force. And I go out every now and then and escape the halls of the Pentagon to go visit our men and women who do this mission tirelessly every day. And every now and then, as I talk to them, I make a reference to something that, because I'm old, just doesn't resonate with them, right? I make some reference to MASH or the RCA dog or, or I can see the quizzical looks on some of you already. And that's what happens, right? But you know, when you're old, sometimes you just can't help yourself. So let me just say, standing up here, looking out there, you look marvelous. <laughs> so, all you young folk, you can go look that up tonight. It's a Billy Crystal Saturday Night Live reference. Um, but it is true, you look marvelous. For the first time in two and a half years, we have a packed venue at the Logistics Officer Association. The last time we were together was Oklahoma City in 2019, and I am thrilled to be with you here today, especially this year, and especially in this place. It is the 75th anniversary of the founding of our Department of the Air Force, the United States Air Force. It is the 40th anniversary of the Logistics Officer Association and it's been 20 years, I am told. It took me a while to remember that, but 20 years since we created this. 20 years ago, we created our logistics readiness officer. It is quite a momentous year. But those two and a half years that we've been apart, time has not stood still, and it has certainly not been a vacation. The national security demands did not diminish, even though we faced a global pandemic. And despite dealing with all the challenges associated with COVID-19, you stepped up 
and you provided the logistics and the mission generation necessary to meet the Department of the Air Force's mission without fail, performing remarkably through what can only be called some pretty unprecedented times. Our supply chain experts navigated COVID-induced challenges magnificently, resulting in so few disruptions to operations that it largely went unnoticed, barely a hiccup. We continued sending forces to CENTCOM, and just as importantly, providing air power and dynamic force employment to show America's will and assure our partners and allies. You generated sorties to meet our flying hour program. You enabled trained and ready air crew. The depots continued churning out overhauled aircraft engines and commodities, not to mention the software work that they do that kept our fleets healthy. You continued experimenting with agile combat employment, ACE, making it real and reaching initial operating capability in our two forward commands of PACAF and USAFE. In August of this past year, our Air Force executed the largest humanitarian operation ever undertaken to evacuate U.S. citizens, their families, and Afghan allies from Afghanistan. Over the course of 17 tense and chaotic days, our airmen airlifted over 120,000 passengers to safety. And you know as well as I do that those efforts were only possible because of the tireless work and dedication of our professional logisticians and maintainers who enabled those sorties and those missions to happen. We continue to leverage the unique capabilities of the Air Force logistics system after that to rapidly establish and sustain refugee camps at multiple military installations, providing those that were displaced the ability to start a new life. And now we're all witnessing what happens when an autocratic regime de uh, decides to flex its muscle by finding fabricated reasons to invade a sovereign democratic state. In many ways, what's happening in Europe reflects the major themes of the 2018 National Defense Strategy. And while we'll see a new 2022 National Defense Strategy here shortly, it too will focus on peer and near-peer adversaries. It is the threat of today, just ask Ukraine, and it will be the threat of tomorrow and beyond. And it is that kind of conflict for which we need to be prepared. As we look across the global landscape, we recognize that the international security environment is shaped by the reemergence of strategic competition. Our strategic guidance from the Department of Defense, the Department of the Air Force, unambiguously prioritizes competition with pacing adversaries. Most notably, for those of you that were at AFA, China, China, China. They've been studying the way we fight, and they've been building a military designed to rival our capabilities. In many aspects, China has been accelerating the pace of their military modernization efforts, consistently moving milestones to the left. Taken together, the Chinese Air Force and Navy aviation assets constitute the largest aviation force in the Indo-Pacific region and the third largest in the world. They've developed the capabilities that deny us access to the region. They expand their overseas logistics and basing infrastructure that allows sustained military power projection at even greater distances. And in 2021, they announced a 6.8% increase in its annual budget for the 20th consecutive year, an increase far above inflation. And if you believe it's 6.8%, you only believe that because that's what they release. And then likewise, Russia's unprovoked invasion of Ukraine highlights their desire for reemergence 
onto the national stage, or the international stage, as a strategic competitor. But make no mistake, basing and logistics is an essential element of strategic competition. It underpins our ability to deter, and if deterrence fails, to win our nation's wars. And if we're going to be successful against a peer adversary in a contested environment, then we must deliver persistent mission generation. We know that the military force that best implements improved operational concepts and training, leverages innovation, connects the force, and builds and delivers persistent mission generation capabilities will be the one best prepared to deter and win. For our part, logistics is the key component of persistent mission generation. While we must deliver as a community is the ability to generate air power in spite of multi-domain attack that our adversaries plan to mount against us. We must and we will deliver persistent mission generation. It is our strategic imperative. If logistics under attack remains the key operational problem that the National Defense Strategy says it is, and it is a wicked problem in the context of a future fight, then persistent mission generation is in fact our answer. It should be no surprise then that Secretary Kendall clearly delineated defining optimized, resilient basing, sustainment, and communications in a contested environment as one of the top seven operational imperatives for the Department of the Air Force. Even back in World War II, as Admiral King is quoted as saying, I don't know what the heck, he used a stronger word than that, if I don't know what the, I don't know what the heck this logistics is that Marshall is always talking about, but I want some of it. So in today's context, how do you get logistics? Not just logistics, but how do you get persistent mission generation? It doesn't just happen, you have to plan for it, and you have to build it. And that's exactly the path we're on. Since the 2018 NDS was published, we've had a wealth of initiatives and strategies and experimentation getting after what the defense strategy told us we needed to do. Airmen across the enterprise enthusiastically sought ways to leverage innovation to transform our logistics enterprise into the force we needed to succeed in tomorrow's operational environment. We've contributed to the Joint Staff's creation of the Joint Warfighting Concept and participated in the development of the Joint concept for contested logistics, one of its four essential lines of effort. And given the volume of that strategic guidance and the speed of the conceptual development of the ideas that our airmen were innovating on, our basing and logistics enterprise leaders saw a critical need for a unifying strategy to bring all this together, to synchronize it, and to bring that body of work to life. In January of this year, we published the basing and logistics enterprise strategy to provide that unity of effort as we intensely focus our enterprise on that objective, that strategic imperative of mission, persistent mission generation. So I encourage you to spend some time this week at the exhibit hall booth to learn about persistent mission generation, what it is, what it delivers, and why it matters to you. Trust me, it's something you need to explore because you're going to be central in helping us execute it. To deliver persistent mission generation, that strategic imperative, we have to achieve four distinct priority outcomes. Persistent logistics, agile airmen, focused readiness, and adaptive basing. Admittedly, each requires a lot of effort to solve, develop, and then scale the capabilities that support making each one real. But let me give you a quick Cliff Notes version of what each of those is just to whet your appetite. Priority one. Persistent Logistics focuses on delivering a global posture of forces and equipment 
that are able to rapidly transition to high-end conflict. It embodies the elements of posture, sense, and respond, but how we will do posture, sense, and respond, how we will accomplish those elements of persistent logistics must be very different in a future fight. Persistent logistics requires that we set the theater with the right equipment at the right place and facilitate that rapid transition to a high-end conflict. The equipment we need has to succeed and it has to be able to be rugged and lightweight and capable of multiple uses so that we can reduce our footprint. Persistent logistics in a contested environment requires a resilient supply chain that's able to meet operational demands and it will depend on a seamless integration of our joint and allied partners. Persistent logistics operational environment requires our combat decisions be informed by accurate intelligence at the speed of relevance and at the speed of combat. And it will keep us two to three paces ahead of our adversaries. We know persistent mission generation will also require agile airmen. After all, airmen are our decisive advantage. We'll require multi-capable airmen with diverse mission generation skill sets. We'll connect airmen with modernized training capabilities and realistic warfighting scenarios that prepare them to deal with the conditions that our pacing adversaries might throw at them. We'll leverage the innovation of our airmen, all the innovation they bring, and accelerate that change by scaling innovation across the enterprise. Priority three is focused readiness, and that ensures that we maximize our ability to generate the readiness both today and in the future by prioritizing the resources we get and reducing the cost needed to do it. We recognize focused readiness is established on a bedrock of accurate and timely data that informs our balance of risks and trade-offs between immediate operational capability and the need of modernization for both our weapon systems and the critical infrastructure that underlies all of it. We'll embrace the theory of constraints to recover and maintain readiness by eliminating constraints in the basing, maintenance, and logistics processes. We have to be laser focused on aligning our finite dollars to our highest, most relevant platforms. Lastly, priority four, adaptive basing, aligns the investment in defense, repair, and recovery capabilities for our infrastructure to operate in an environment of multi-domain attack. Whether generating from a main base or a contingency operating location, integrated base defense postures our infrastructure, and it must create resiliency in our force projection platform, the base. Rapid response and recovery of operational capability is integral to our ability to produce persistent mission generation. In a contested environment, the recovery of mission generation platforms will be just as critical as our ability to turn jets. Now, no one here is naive enough to think that this is easy. It isn't. Wicked problems like logistics under attack aren't easily solved. And solutions like persistent mission generation have to deal with both the challenges we believe our adversary will present, some of which I mentioned earlier, as well as the challenges that are knitted into the fabric of our institution. While we're buying new F-35s and KC-46s and soon enough B-21s, our 5,400 tail fleet is older than we would like. The age of the aircraft you're asked to sustain every day presents a significant challenge to mission generation. We operate the oldest fleet of any service with an average age of 30 years. That's twice as old as the US Navy. It's three times older than the Royal Australian Air Force. 44% of our aircraft are beyond their design service life. They are kept safe through service life extension programs, but make no mistake that challenges 
our maintenance and sustainment professionals to do the job they are asked to do and keep those aircraft healthy, safe, and effective. Like your car or your house, or trust me, I know your body, the older it gets, the more maintenance it needs. Our depot maintenance professionals see this routinely. Since FY16, age-related repair requirements contributed to a 61% cost increase for depot repair and overhaul. As one example, in FY20, the C-130 depot line alone required 2,600 additional days to address age-related structural repairs across the fleet. And as AFMC will tell you, time is money. Much like their counterparts in the ALCs, of course, our flight line maintainers, many of you who are here, experience similar challenges with generating aging aircraft. Over the last 20 years, we've experienced a 34% increase in brake rates. In other words, an aircraft is one-third more likely to come back after a sortie with a grounding discrepancy. Not surprisingly, that's uh, over the course of about 20 years. Not surprisingly, maintenance data analysis also shows a strong correlation between the not mission capable for maintenance hours and the age of our aircraft. They are rising in parallel. And of course, that scenario creates a compounding effect. Aircraft age drives lower reliability. That results in additional maintenance workload, which could be manifested in terms of brakes or additional inspections. And ultimately, it leads to an availability rate that is lower than what we would like and that what is required. As we look at the maintenance manpower on the front lines of the battle to keep our aging aircraft ready, we see a relatively less experienced and overtasked workforce. Those aging aircraft and maintenance workload issues increase the demand for trained maintainers, yet given our need to stand up new units of F-35s and KC-46s and our inability to retire aircraft that are less relevant to the future fight, we can't keep pace and our unfunded maintenance manpower authorizations continue to rise. With now almost 9% of the total Air Force maintenance requirements not funded and therefore not staffed. Our workforce also has less experience. 54% of maintenance career field had less than six years of hands-on repair time today. 54, 54%. 20 years ago, that number was 38%. And I know you feel this on the flight line every day. And to no one's surprise, we live in a resource-constrained world. As many of you are keenly aware, the resources required to sustain our aging fleets are outpacing the sustainment funding that is allocated to that task. As we analyze those costs, we see some distinct drivers. Aging aircraft problem, which also manifests in diminishing manufacturing sources, market forces that drive labor and materiel costs higher than the rate of inflation, and the growth in more complex weapon systems that utilize contract logistics support, which pay for their flying hour spares out of this account rather than the flying hour program like our organic system. I doubt I told you much regarding our challenges that you didn't already know or didn't already sense as our logistics and maintenance professionals. And you're probably thinking, wow, General, that's a pretty depressing message. Well, maybe, but let's put it into perspective first. Let's just say this, right? We, we need to be crystal clear on this point. Make no mistake, we are ready for whatever our nation would call on us to do today. And anyone who would misinterpret any of what I told you as a sign of weakness in our ability to project and sustain air power would be making a very grave mistake. You do it every day. 
And anyone who thinks that any of that would cause us to be not ready is seriously mistaken. But second, the first step, second, the first, all right, second, the first step in solving problems, right, is understanding that you have them. And so to me, the silver lining is that much of what we've done in the sustainment framework, coupled with how we're getting after persistent mission generation, addresses not this, just those challenges, but even more. I'm even more heartened by what's happening across the force to get after the changes and the solutions that we need to move forward rapidly. Our logistics airmen have been working toward these priorities long before we formalized them in a strategy. One of the most active cauldrons of innovation in our Air Force, much less in our logistics enterprise, has been our innovation incubator, Tesseract. Tesseract has become the critical link between the innovative ideas of our 269,000 logisticians, engineers, and security forces airmen, and the ability to scale up those ideas across the force. Through collaboration with airmen in the field, Tesseract accelerated 20 logistics innovations toward programs of record, generating significant readiness and warfighting enhancement. I'll give you one example. There's many. I'll give you one. Master Sergeant Jason Yunker, who at the time was at Spangdalem at the 52nd, now at the 18th LRS at Kadena, developed a versatile integrating partner nation equipment refueling kit, VIPER, because we love acronyms, VIPER. Viper takes all the POL requirements, it takes the components for POL, it uniquely configures them into a small hot pit ready package that allows hot refuel operations with existing host nation or civilian airport refueling equipment regardless of that equipment's US certification. It takes far less than a pallet position rather than taking an entire R11. It is agile, it is mobile, it is a force multiplier in ACE, and it is a case study in an airman's innovation being adopted at scale. Tesseract has also partnered with over a dozen bases to launch nine theory of constraint initiatives, borrowing a page from our depots and propagating this methodology to the tactical units. These initiatives have had huge success across the enterprise. The 635th Supply Chain Operations Wing realized a $4 million uh, savings in cost avoidance and achieved a 13% reduction in KC-135 down, downtime due to bycaps. At Dover, the team slashed C-5 isochronal inspection days by 17%, increased throughput capability from five to seven major inspections a year. Fairchild, Luke, Tinker, Cannon, McConnell, Lakenheath, Mildenhall, Kirtland, and many more have seen firsthand the mission capability that theory of constraints creates. This past year, Tesseract was recognized as the General Larry O. Spencer United States Air Force Innovation Team Award winner for 2020. That is a huge deal. And if you're interested, I think they're hiring. They too have a booth down in the exhibit hall right behind ours. I suggest you go talk to them and go see the amazing and exceptional things they are doing for you. But the Tesseract team isn't the only ones innovating at the edge. We've had a huge win at Offit. You hear Offit? Yeah. Off it really became the first Air Force base to create a truly web-enabled flight line environment. The 55th maintenance group replaced all their GTACs and tough books with iPads and ruggedized cases that enabled point of maintenance utilization. They partnered with their ops group. Wow. Partnered with their ops group <laughs> to build a homegrown Wi-Fi network known as Boxcar. And the Offit maintainers today 
are able to wirelessly access tech data and Air Force secure websites all while out on the flight line. And their iPads get updates through the Wi-Fi, which eliminates the need for hardware docking stations and greatly reduces the logistics footprint that enables persistent mission generation. They're showing the rest of us how this can be done. On the adaptive basing front, Senior Master Sergeant Brett Kenny and Tech Sergeant Matthew Connolly presented their Project Arcwater submission to the Air Force's annual Spark Tank competition, and they won. With the goal of increasing efficiency and reducing the logistical footprint for agile employment, they developed an innovative three-pronged system that generated power, water, and HVAC requirements necessary for persistent mission generation at a fraction of the cost and a fraction of the space using the traditional means of production. I will just tell you from where I sit in the Pentagon, and I see a lot of what happens across many different disciplines in our Air Force, from where I sit in the Pentagon, I can tell you the most innovative airmen, most innovative ideas from the field come from our logistics and sustainment professionals, hands down. Later this week, you'll have the opportunity to see more examples of innovations from the field when our Ether Sprint finalists outbrief their innovative solutions right here on this stage. A1C James Dorfler and A1C John Gustafson will demonstrate their idea to accelerate a push logistics framework for inexpensive, <laughs> inexpensive, <laughs> inexpensive consumable supplies, we could make, combine it, make it inexpensive, uh, that might otherwise ground their F-35s at Hill Air Force Base. The team of Nicole Oggins and Chief Master Sergeant Raymond Chalifo, Senior Master Sergeant Jason Bennett, Senior Master Sergeant Mike Iorio from Tyndall Air Force Base, Florida, will present their framework to operationalize the concept of multi-capable airmen and how it will be packaged within the Afrogen model. From Ileson, Master Sergeant Philip Berry, Master Sergeant Christopher Blake, Master Sergeant Kathleen Myers, Tech Sergeant Joseph Hartsfield, Staff Sergeant uh, Kyle Soliday, and Staff Sergeant Shane Weber will demonstrate their initiative to leverage available low-code, no-code software so airmen can eliminate outdated processes with powerful but simple automation methodologies. Beyond that, we continue to make headway at the enterprise level to improve mission generation. We've codified the first tranche of cross-training requirements to produce multi-capable airmen, essential to the ACE scheme of maneuver. We're on track to bring the basing and logistics analytic data environment, or BLADE, to life with artificial intelligence and machine learning embedded that allows us far more predictive capabilities in FY24. We laid the foundation to begin operationalizing WRM, no longer storing it and centrally uh, no longer putting it in a warehouse somewhere and then guarding it zealously so that you can't use it. Rather, we're going to disperse it. We're going to put it at the point of need, and we're going to let the warfighter use it for exercises and demonstrate our resolve and show our adversary that logistics is a strategic deterrent. We continue to build out repair network integration and CBM Plus, our predictive maintenance platform. We're well over 1,600 parts in the repair network right now with over $130 million in cost avoidance, scaling up to what we think will be 30,000 parts in R&I. We have 16 weapon systems actively monitoring work unit codes and installed parts to propel us forward in predictive maintenance. And finally, AETC is fundamentally transforming our training delivery models in Maintenance Next, offering our airmen 21st century training tools to enhance their proficiency before arriving at their first base. 
There is more, much, much more. So come swing by the booth and soak it all in. When you're there, ask our senior leaders the hard questions and don't let us get away with easy answers. And then lend us your ideas. We learn more from you and your innovative approaches than you can possibly imagine. So, where does all this leave us? Well, it certainly leaves us with some answers, but we know we don't have all of them. We probably even have more questions that we just haven't thought to ask yet. You know that's okay, because this is a journey. But the clock is ticking. As Chief 21 General Goldfein said, we don't know when the next conflict will happen involving U.S. forces, but we have from now until then to be ready. Chief 22, General Brown, has challenged us all to accelerate change or lose. Those sentiments are actually very complimentary. We don't know when the next conflict will happen, but we have to have a sense of urgency to be prepared, or we will not prevail on terms favorable to the United States. So ask yourself, what are you doing? What are you doing to propel us, to accelerate us forward? To help us accelerate, we aligned our focus on our strategic imperative, which is persistent mission generation, underpinned by persistent logistics, agile airmen, focused readiness, and adaptive basing. How we do that, well, that's the art of logistics and sustainment. We can't do it alone. Maybe shocking to you, but most good ideas don't germinate in the Pentagon. They originate in our wings and our squadrons and with our airmen. We need you focusing your creative energy on capabilities and methods, the ways and means that bring persistent mission generation to life. It is entirely likely, entirely probable, someone in this room, someone back at your base has the missing piece necessary to enable decision advantage, or the best ways to get lighter, more deployable, multi-use equipment like Project Arkwater. And if you are their supervisor, free them. Free them to imagine, to experiment, and to discover the solutions that we absolutely need. As you think through how you can help accelerate the changes we need to deter and win, I'll also leave you and implore you to do something that I said the last time we gathered together for Lowe about two and a half years ago. It is really natural to focus on the here and now, today's challenges. They are the alligators that are at your boat. But you can't solely focus on the down and in. You have to take time to think, to really think about tomorrow. Think not just down and in, but also up and out for solutions that benefit the many, not just the few. We need that intellectual capital, your intellectual curiosity to mature our thinking and evolve our belief as to what is in the realm of the possible. Think about it, write about it, share it, put it on Evolve. If you're going to PME or AFID or a fellowship, make that your research project and advance our thinking. Write short white papers, share them with your leadership, send them to the ER, or send them to me. Allow those challenges to motivate you to find solutions that we can implement in time to make a difference and solidify our advantages. 
If you're one of our amazing industry partners, thank you for what you do. You are as much a, team, a member of this team as any airman or civil servant that's in the audience today. We can't do this job without you. But that doesn't get you off the hook for a challenge or two. So let me give it to you. First, our problems are not a secret. Help us find those solutions, especially material solutions, that propel us forward. Put your IRAD in places that help us solve the wicked problems that we face. Second, ask yourselves how you would surge to meet the demand that a conflict with a peer adversary would require. Building that surge capacity now is probably unaffordable for both of us. We know that. But just as planning is more important than the actual plan in military operations, I would offer for you planning how you would surge to meet the tempo a peer fight would require may very well mean the difference in meeting an ATO against a determined adversary. It is good to have you all, us all, back together again. As you enjoy this amazing professional development opportunity put together by our Loa National staff, soak up every scrap of knowledge you can. Go out of your way to build your network of professional colleagues so you can leverage each other for the betterment of our enterprise. The problems we face are hard, but the innovative spirit required to achieve those lofty goals they are baked into our DNA. We are a service born from innovation, and it is that spirit of innovation that will enable us to overcome any challenge ahead. I know you're up to the task. We have seen it. I've told you some of it just today, and you will see more of it during your experience and your time here in the next couple of days. This is our time. This is our call, and this is our imperative, to make persistent mission generation real. And now it's time to rock and roll. Thank you. I was told to leave some time for Q&A. So I think we got about 10 minutes left, uh, happy to take some questions. What I will say is um, we are clearly not going to get to all the questions in 10 minutes. Uh, but if you leave your name, your contact info, we will get back to you. So even if we don't get to your question here on stage, please let us, uh, let us know what's on your mind and give us the, the opportunity to answer your, your question or your concern. If the first question is about Notre Dame, I'm all over it. Good morning, General Barry. Dara, back here with the questions. All right, sir, thank you so much for your comments. We've got questions rolling in. I'm gonna start with this one. Sir, regarding persistent logistics, if you had a magic wand, what one thing would you do with it to make progress on this LOE? I think I've said in a couple of other forums um, that uh, to me, the real holy grail is our ability to do predictive maintenance. I mean, it is. When you think about the ability to persistently generate mission, if I can predict when a break is gonna happen on an aircraft, right, I can, I can do that maintenance at a time and place of my choosing. I can work it into my schedule, even if it's on an ATO. 
Um, it, it gives me so much more flexibility to do the things that I need to do and not have increased, unexpected, unscheduled downtime. Is it going to eliminate unscheduled maintenance? No. But it has the real opportunity to dramatically reduce unscheduled maintenance. Here's the other thing it gives you. It gives you predictive supply. So not only do I have an ability to, to execute repairs at a time and place of my choosing because I'm going to change that part before it ever breaks, my supply system is going to be so much better informed that I'm going to essentially know and understand what the system is going to need before you know it. And I can position parts and resources at the time and place that they'll be needed when they'll be needed. I can execute a push logistics system so much more easily if I have that predictive capability resident in my fleets and in my systems. So Blade, like I said in the speech, Blade is our um, first real foray into bringing that artificial intelligence and, and machine learning on top of all of the data that we, we do not lack data. You know as well as I do, we do not lack data, but it's the first, it's the first real um, time that we'll have capability built in, the AI and ML capability built in to sit on top of our data and start giving us that information well beyond what we're doing right now on those 16 weapon systems where we're executing CBM Plus. To me, that is the game changer. And if we're going to do persistent logistics, if we're going to be able to persistently generate a mission, having that predictive capability is absolutely vital. Thank you, sir. With our top line budgets shrinking, how do we prioritize to compete with adversaries who are increasing their spending? Um, yeah, great question. If, if you want to come work for us at the Pentagon, we, we'd love to have you. Um, you know, it, it's, it's another wicked problem. Um, the, the, uh, the sustainment requirements are growing uh, at a rate that our funding profile can't keep pace. Um, and so the disconnects that we have in certainly the weapon system sustainment account uh, are, are escalating over time. And that presents a, a real challenge for us, right? So part one is <laughs> we've got to bend the curve or at least arrest the, the, uh, the incline. Uh, lots of ways we could after that. Predictive maintenance, oh, by the way, is one of the ways you can get after that. Um, we, we put a, a group together to actually do a deep dive into the costs that are driving weapon system sustainment. Uh, we understand those, those drivers. Uh, we're developing some action plans to get after those drivers to try to arrest some of that cost growth that we see in weapon system sustainment. Um, but the, re the harsh reality is that's not going to get the delta completely solved for us. And at the end of the day, what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to take the resources we have and prioritize them against the weapon systems that are the most relevant to the future fight. And we will do that. Uh, we have to make sure that those weapon systems that are going to be part and parcel to that peer adversary, near peer adversary conflict are the ones that are, in fact, the most ready. Thank you, sir. So apparently we have a uh, young man with us today from Civil Air Patrol, 14-year-old named Chris. Yesterday he discovered Air Force Gaming in the exhibit hall and the VR training simulators. Awesome. Question is, 
how are we leveraging these tools to attract the next generation of maintainers? Yeah, so it's a, it's a little discouraging, I think, when a lot of the senior leaders go and see, um, you know, the, these, these new airmen that are coming into the service, very tech savvy, um, and, and it, was, it was not that long ago, you know, three, four years ago, that uh, we were putting, on, putting them on avionics trainers that were from a C-141. Oh my God. Um, right, we, we are absolutely working to correct that. When you go down to the exhibit hall, if you haven't been there yet, you will see a number of vendors that are collaborating with us to get after virtual reality, augmented reality in our training. I talked about maintenance next. Um, that is, a, that is a part of Maintenance Next. It is not all of Maintenance Next, but it is part of that effort to, to get after the way that we train our airmen and bring that training back into the 21st century so that they are training on things that are um, relevant, current, and that enhance their ability to become more proficient sooner. Um, we are absolutely leveraging all of that and you could get a smattering and a taste of that when you get to the exhibit hall and see what it is that we're, uh, we're embarking on. It is, it is pretty exciting. Um, and the tools, if you get a chance to, uh, to put on some of the goggles and walk through some of the um, programs that, oh, by the way, some of our airmen are coding. Yeah, some of our airmen are coding these programs that are doing augmented and virtual reality. Um, it, it'll blow you away. It, it is phenomenal. So yes, we are absolutely working to to bring that up uh, and, and bring our airmen into a modern training environment and get them trained faster. Thank you, sir. We're getting a couple of questions on the issue of bureaucracy, sir. How is your staff I love it. and the community at large getting after CSAF's action order B to enable better decisions and prioritization of mission sets? Yeah. Um, so, so action order Bravo, you know, the, the bureaucracy was uh, largely aimed at <laughs> probably won't find this hard to believe, largely aimed at the Pentagon. Um, the, the Pentagon is, is a bureaucratic beast. Uh, and those of you who have served in that building know and understand the bureaucracy that happens. Um, so, so we have taken some steps uh, within the Pentagon to, to literally flatten the organization. Um, we have uh, uh, taken efforts to ruthlessly evaluate um, in our process, right, um, who really needs to be involved? Um, so, so we've taken some, some effort to figure out, okay, who owns this issue or this process? Um, who are the, the key stakeholders? Who are the influencers? Who are the supporters? But to really clearly define who owns that issue and therefore who's accountable for that decision. Um, we have probably gone over uh, the pendulum side on governance, um, and, and sometimes governance is, is a, <laughs> a proxy word for bureaucracy, um, and sometimes in governance, right, it, it's, it's like NATO, uh, or it's like the UN. Uh, one, one, one veto or one no or one abstention kind of puts, a, put, puts the brakes on everything. But by really clarifying who owns it, who has the authority, the accountability, and the responsibility to deliver that role, responsibility, or, or capability for our Air Force has really allowed us to kind of flatten some of that decision making um, and move with a little bit more speed. Uh, there's more to do there. 
Uh, you know, uh, the chief came out with uh, mod one to action order bureaucracy. Uh, that mod one was for a reason, uh, and that reason was to try to get rid of some of the bureaucracy that had crept into action order bureaucracy. Um, and that is the harsh truth, right? So we are working hard uh, to try and get those decisions flatter, faster, and leaner, uh, and make sure we got the right people in the room uh, and, and know who owns the problem and can therefore make, the, make that decision. Thank you, sir. Hopefully we got time for one more question. I'm gonna make this the last one. Okay. Sir, are we working on integrating multiple logistical systems to give us a common operating picture that informs supply, transportation, IT, and more? We are, Blade. Blade is, is our system that we're bringing all of this together. Um, so I, I think Blade might have a, uh, a booth downstairs. I don't recall if they came or not, um, but you're here, yay! So, so whoever asked that question, or if you're really interested, go, go talk to them. Uh, they, are the, they are the keepers. Uh, it is exciting to see what Blade can do for us. Uh, Blade is going to be that central authoritative data repository of all the data that we have in the A4 enterprise. So uh, maintenance, logistics, uh, force protection, defenders, um, and civil engineering. And it is that system that will, again, have that AI and ML sitting on top of it so that we can get that common operating picture, right? That, that blade is going to be the thing that gives us that sense ability, not sensibility, sense ability, the ability to sense in that uh, persistent mission generation and persistent logistics model that we don't have today, right? It's going to be the vehicle by which we get away from the manual spreadsheets or we get away from asking the wings and the groups and the squadrons to send us data so that we can put it into a spreadsheet so that we could give people visibility, which is then outdated 10 minutes after we put it together. Right? Because that's the common operating picture to some degree that we have today. Blade is going to be that system that makes that really the grease pencil of the past. So absolutely we are doing that and our common operating picture will be resident and blade. They're doing some sessions today uh, and tomorrow to actually talk to you and ask you what you think you need in that common operating picture so that we all get what, uh, what blade can deliver. So that, thank you ladies and gentlemen, enjoy LOA. This is a great opportunity to be back together after two and a half years. They have a great agenda put together for you. Like I said, soak it up. Engage, interact, enjoy, learn, and then when you get back home, share. Thank you very much. Thank you again for listening to Tesseract Podcast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and connect with us on LinkedIn.
Any references to trademarked, copyrighted, or protected products or services such as books, movies, or businesses are used here for the limited purpose of education and professional development of Air Force Airmen. If you have any questions, please contact us at www.tesseractaf.com.